This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for shining on today. Even if you aren't an actor or a psychiatrist, I think you will find something in common with today's guests. Nancy Balbira's story is called A Marriage in Dog Years. That's coming up. She is a modern Nora Ephron. And Dr. Hollowell is someone you'll embrace if you're from New England, if you have a crazy family, or if you know or love anyone with ADHD. Dr. Hollowell is one of the nation's leading experts on the subject He's written Driven to Distraction and Driven from Distraction. Edward Hollowell will have you looking at ADHD in a bright new light. This brilliant man has taken a brief pause from writing about ADHD to share his memoir entitled Because I Came from a Crazy Family. He actually heard a voice tell him to become a psychiatrist when he was just a kid. So, Dr. Hollowell, tell me, how long have you been hearing these voices? <laughs> I heard one voice when I was like 10 years old. What and, did it sound uh, like? What was that all about? Well, it was, it was you know, by strictly speaking, it was an auditory hallucination, which meant it was a psychotic moment. But it was the only one I ever had, so it probably was some kind of... Uh, dream state, who knows what it was, but it, it did say to me, you should become a psychiatrist. Maybe I was like a prophet in the Old Testament or something, but it, the funny thing is I, I heard it and I thought, hmm, uh, that sounds like a good idea, and I just went about my business as if nothing had happened. It, it wasn't some big dramatic moment, and I and I pretty much forgot about it, uh, although obviously I didn't totally forget about it, because here I am, 68 years old, talking to you on the phone, and I am indeed a psychiatrist. It was a, a pretty amazing... Uh, a moment looking back and and then i you know i went i went on majored in english in college and really didn't think i was going to go to medical school until uh, i was talking with my professor my wonderful william alford talking about i wanted to be a writer and, and he said you know well it's a hard way to make a living just writing you know why don't you be a doctor because <laughs> that's so easy yeah, well, a lot of doctors are writers. And I said, uh, okay, um, maybe I'll try taking the pre-med courses and going to medical school. Because I'd, I'd always, in the back of my mind, thought that would be, psychiatry would be interesting. And I, I just hadn't focused on the sciences. So I redoubled my efforts and went to medical school. Still, looking back at this moment when young Ned was told by a voice in his head, you know, you should be a psychiatrist one day. Still to you, you don't see anything supernatural or spiritual there. You believe it was just maybe a, 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 a what? Oh, I do see something spiritual and supernatural. I hesitate to say that because most people are dismissive of that sort of thing. But, you know, throughout the book, I, I notice these kinds of extraordinary moments. And, and toward the end of the book, I, they become even clearer. And the kind of odds that I beat, I beat extraordinary odds by any rights. I, I shouldn't be here at all. So I do believe God or whatever word you want to put in there did have a big hand in it. It's just that most people, the minute they hear you talk that way, they think you're crazy. I'm none of that, but I, but I do think that a very divine hand, you know, had, had a 
real role in, in my in my life and I feel grateful for it every day you yeah. know and, and I and I hate to put people off in saying that because I'm, I'm not in any way pushing that down anyone's throat I just I offer it up as there's a thing called the adverse childhood experiences score and it, it names 10 events in childhood that if you have four or more of them the, the chances of your having any kind of a life as an adult are very very slim and my score is eight Wow. And, and so it's extremely unlikely that I would have done what I've done. You know, become a doctor, written 20 books, 29 years of marriage, three wonderful children. Uh, I've really had an impact on my field. I mean, and, you know, and more than that, I'm a, I'm a happy guy. Yeah. And um, that's amazing. It really is. It's a statistical aberration. And, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book is to is to let a reader wonder as they read the story how it happened. And then my answer, which I don't put into the book, but my answer, it is the power of connection. And to me, that's what God is. God is love. God is connection. God is, you know, and we haven't figured out exactly how to describe that in scientific terms. But, you know, I think it's well beyond what we can see and touch on this earth. Maybe that should be your next book. Well, maybe. Maybe. I, mean, uh, I do think we need to access connection these days. And, you know, I think everyone is pretty much starved for it. Yeah. And we, we so easily access hostility. And uh, I, I think people are really tired of it. I think we, we really want to connect, forgive, and uh, be friends with one another and, and, then, and pool our energies in positive ways. And, and that's truly what got me through. There's no doubt about it. That's what got me to be talking to you on the telephone today. We're talking to Dr. Edward M. Hollowell. The book is Because I Came from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. Looking back on your family, you call it the WASP triad. Alcoholism, mental illness, and politeness. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my lineage, and I love them. You know, and I should also add, this book is a celebration of my roots, not a, in any way a condemnation. I, I love my people. I, I just sort of took a different turn. I love where I came from. You know, we all have our ethnic traditions and our ethnic stereotypes, and they're, they're often true to form. And, you know, I, I love the people that I, that I come from. And, and, and I wrote to honor them and, you know, poke fun at them a little bit, which is also poking fun at myself. I think it's good to be able to laugh at ourselves. Where did the politeness come into the picture? Oh, my gosh, that was the ruling value. It, it didn't matter what you did as long as you were polite about it. You could be completely sloshed as long as you were managed to be polite. You could express any opinion you wanted to as long as you did it in a way that was polite. The, the thing was just never to be rude, never to be too emotional, never to uh, make a mess, you know. Mm -hmm. you, you didn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. So it was, it was all about appearances. Doing it, it was sort of. The, I think we imported it from the British, you know, the stiff mm -hmm. upper lip, and, and you know that's why it's so common among you know New England. You know, we are the New England, and, and, right. uh, and it has its pluses and its minuses. I think the minuses is that you know people don't get to express emotion that, that they really need to. And then it gets bottled up, and when emotion gets bottled up, it, it, it not good things do not happen. You know, one of my favorite mottos is "Never worry alone." And mm. in, the, in the world of wasps, uh, an awful lot of worrying alone happens, and, right. and that leads to drinking and depression and anxiety. And, and I think it's 
endemic in today's world. I mean, the rise in, you know, violence and shootings and suicides, I think, has everything to do with disconnection, loneliness, with people worrying alone. And when, when, you, when that happens, you resort to drastic measures, be it uh, killing somebody or killing yourself. Right. So this book, because I come from a crazy family, reads like a novel, like a book you could take to the beach this summer. But it's all true? Yeah, it's all true. Well, given the fact that my memory, you know, is fallible. But my memory is pretty accurate. You know, I'm, I'm told by people who were there at the time. And, and uh, it's all true. I didn't, I didn't invent any stories. There are true stories to the best of my memory. There's funny stories, sad stories. Uh, and then, you know, the first half is from my childhood and my years in school and college and medical school. And then the second half is from training and in, in the old Massachusetts Mental Health Center, a chronic state hospital. There was also a Harvard teaching hospital. So you get to look and see the the state hospital, but these wonderful professors, you know, of psychiatry and and uh, and their, their wonderful ways of imparting their wisdom. And a portion of the proceeds from this book go to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. That's very nice. What is it you'd like us lay people to know about the field of ADHD today? Oh, to embrace it. Uh, ADHD in particular is, if you manage it right, it's an asset in your life. Uh, if you don't manage it right, it can ruin your life. So it's really important to take it seriously, but don't be afraid of it. If you manage it right, it's a tremendous asset. The man who founded JetBlue Airlines has it in spades. The current CEO of AOL and Yahoo, they're combined into a company called Oath, has it in spades. So if you manage it right, it can take you to the top. If you don't, it can end you up as an addict or in, in prison. So. You know, it's, it's like having a Ferrari engine for a brain, but with bicycle brakes. You just, <laughs> you, you, you just need to strengthen those brakes. And if you'll do, you'll win races. And so don't be afraid of it. Just learn how to manage it, and then, and then it becomes an asset. That's beautiful. What's the first step to learning how to manage it? Uh, I, I, I don't want to just say read my book, but that's, <laughs> the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the easiest way to do it. <laughs> read the book. Uh, uh, which, which book is that? Uh, delivered from distraction. Delivered from distraction. Right. Delivered, because you've also written Driven to Distraction. Yeah. Driven was 1994, and then Delivered was 2005. <laughs> I think that's great advice. Read the book. I mean, that, you know, all of the information is going to be there. You are absolutely a delight. DrHallowell.com is your website. Author, doctor, uh, world renowned expert on ADHD. Very funny man. The only thing that's wrong with you is that you're from Boston. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'd like to know what you're doing next. Well, I, I'm actually under contract for a new book on ADHD. I, I think with John Rady, I think it'll be probably the last one I do on that topic. Um, but it's an important one because I really want to. I really want to establish this not as a disorder, but as a trait. And because uh, I think the the stigma really scares people away from it. And if if only people uh, see it as a, a, you know, nothing to be afraid of, but rather to embrace, uh, then then you really get the best results. All right. The, the strength-based approach. Oh, that is amazing. And let me just jump in and ask you this, because you say it's it's a trait. 
It's 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 a trait. Is this a new trait, or did this trait always exist, and we just didn't know what to call it? Oh, it's always been around. There's always been people who, who couldn't focus, get organized, stay on track, and you know, were bouncing all over the place. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the people who colonized this country. We're a, we're a nation of people like that. It's what's made this country great. We need National ADHD Day and a flag yes, and, and a flag. Called the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Great talking to you. Come back again. Okay. Isn't he great? Visit drhollowell.com for all kinds of information. And if you'd like to win a copy of his memoir, Because I Came from a Crazy Family, email me from the site casey.co. Have you ever experienced a wish come true? For a child battling a critical illness, a wish come true can be a turning point. One song, one dance, one game, one adventure, one moment changes everything. Make-A-Wish needs your support to grant the wish of every eligible child. Visit wish.org now to help grant more life-changing wishes. Together, we can transform lives one wish at a time. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for listening to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Now, meet writer, actor, Nancy Balbure, who has two memoirs out. The first title, Take Your Shirt Off and Cry, was inspired by a kindness from David Mamet. I guess I was ahead of my time because I was sharing stories about what it was like to be a woman kind of trying to eke it out on the other side of fame as a woman in a business that's notoriously, and I think now everybody really knows, Uh, Not especially wonderful for women. I think it is a much, much different experience to be a woman actor than it is to be a man. People understand now that women are paid less, significantly so, and the things that you have to contend with just in your workplace, it's kind of outrageous. Right. And so I was writing about this. This book came out in 2009. My experiences began in 1983, so it's a long time ago at this point. Right, long before the Me Too movement, which blew the lid off things. Correct. And so, you know, I was writing about this in 2009. This is is now nine years ago that that book came out. Take your shirt off and cry. The title actually comes from, people think it comes from the movie Fame, because there's this character who is asked to take her shirt off. It actually comes from, I was studying with David Mamet, the playwright, and he said to me, you know, I was doing very well in his class, and he saw my eagerness and my enthusiasm, and that I really wanted to, that I took myself very seriously. I took the craft very seriously. And he took me aside one day and said, you know, this is a terrible business for a woman. I just want you to know that. Wow. Um, Because in every role uh, that you ever play, ostensibly, you are going to be asked to do two things. One of two things, perhaps both. Take your shirt off and cry. It was kind of boring. He wasn't saying that I should be relegated to that or that women should be. In fact, he was saying it in, in, a, in a rather paternal way. So that's where the, the title came from, as something that was a warning that for me ultimately became a sort of battle cry. So that's what that book was about. That is an amazing story. That really is, Nancy. That is truly an amazing story. So where are you now with um, acting on stage, on screen, or is writing taking up more space in your heart these days? 
You know, writing started as, I hate this word, but it started as my mistress, okay, and um, became the spouse, the significant other. I started writing uh, because I was an actor and I had lost my agent and I needed to get another one. And agents are always saying, well, let me know when you're in something. Let me know when, when you're in something. It's classic. Catch 22, of, yeah. Yes, well, if you, if you got me a I'd job, be like a, I'd be in something, but I'm not in anything because I don't have an agent. Oh, right. So I needed to create something for myself to be in so that I could be seen by people. And what happened was I wrote this show called I Slept with Jack Kerouac and Other Stories. And that began my writing career. And I kind of, I can't say I never looked back because I do perform from time to time, but I don't pursue acting at all anymore. If something falls into my lap and it's something that I want to do, but the actual pursuit of acting is not something that interests me. I, I still enjoy performing, but as a writer, I get to read my material, I get to get that part out. Yeah. I became a writer, I was an actor. I probably always will identify on some level as an actor. Many of my friends are actors, but I'm a writer now. Yeah. And I lo absolutely love it. And did you sleep with Jack Kerouac? <laughs> no. I slept with a guy who, he was my boyfriend, who fancied himself the reincarnation of Jack Kerouac. Aren't you a lucky girl? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was a, <laughs> I, I didn't really quite understand uh, that I was that I was uh, frolicking with a, a, a cliche come to life. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, he was a jazz musician who who thought who really thought he was the reincarnation of Jack Kerouac. It was a one woman show. I performed it in Los Angeles in 2001 and 2002. And it didn't um, get it you just, a new agent? It did not get me a new agent. It got me a writing agent. And ultimately, it all led me to my first book deal, to write Take Your Shirt Up and Cry. I kind of just stuck with writing. It was, it was a thing. I didn't have to wait for someone to say, okay, now you can do your art. Right. Now you can do your job. And that's the thing. You have to wait. Work is bestowed upon you when you're an actor. As a writer, I, I sit down in front of the blank screen, which to me, the page is like the stage, and I just get to talk. It's been such a great experience for me. I, I, I'm not frustrated artistically anymore. It is unusual for people's first book to be a memoir, and now you've written two. I think that um, it, it is a sort of natural form for me. It's not so much that I think my life is so interesting. It's that I like to, I guess I'm drawn to using my life or the experiences of my life as a backdrop to discuss themes or, or issues that move me or are important to me, which is how I came to my second book. Yeah. Uh, memoir is just the format, you know, I mean, sort of all of these things, I guess, could be novels, but they're true. So there's something I think appealing about that to people uh, wanting to hear real stories that have happened to people, particularly if it's something relatable. And certainly my this my current book, A Marriage and Dog Years, is perhaps more relatable than my first. R relatable to a broader audience than the first, because we're not just talking uh, about actors, we're talking about marriage and dogs. Right. Where I mean, in my first book, there is there's certainly, as we were just saying, you know, there's a lot there in terms of 
particularly now, the, the Me Too movement and how women are finding themselves in, in whatever their particular landscape is uh, or line of work. You could look at it that way. But this book, A Marriage and Dog Years, is, is about a marriage. It's about divorce. It's about how we learn to let go when we really don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. And how, and, and how it is how it is that we, we, we tend to hang on to things long past the expiration dates. And, and why that is, and how one gets to the place of serenity and surrender where they can finally do so, let go with grace. Nancy Belvira is our guest. A Marriage in Dog Years is her most recent memoir. Maybe if you're just getting to know her, you'll read this and then go back and read her first. Tell us about the story behind your latest memoir. The book is a year from beginning in, from one July to the following July. And it's the year I tried to save my marriage and my dog, both of which were terminally ill. And we find out in the first chapter that the dog is dying of renal failure, kidney failure. What I don't know at the beginning is that my marriage is also dying. And so the the dog and the marriage were the same age. They were ultimately, it, it ends when both are 12 years old. So it's 12 months in a 12 year in the life of a 12 year old dog and a 12 year old marriage and it kind of goes back and forth in those 12 years while also going forward in that 12 months where I try to save both of these things that are frankly not savable. When you speak and tell the story, I hear the theme to the movie Heartburn in the background. <laughs> Well, by the way, I think that's... I I love the book. I love that she interweaves uh, recipes in there. Um, And I'm a huge Nora Ephron fan. Yes, there's a lot of that sort of pain of the back and forth. You know, nobody makes a light decision when it comes to leaving a marriage uh, or ending a marriage. Mm -hmm. There's so much back and forth. And you can look as an outsider at somebody and say, why do they keep staying? It's clear this is done. It's clear that these people are not right for each other, or at least they're not right anymore, or it's not getting better, or why is this person keeping their dog alive? You know, what you watch them sort of piteously taking the dog out to, to pee where they have to carry the dog, you know? And so why, do they, why are they doing this? Well, it is impossible, or it feels impossible, to let go. And, you know, you, you, can, you can really trick yourself. There's a lot of magical thinking with that back and forth, you know, where, oh, today the dog seems better. Today we're getting along. That can make you think that maybe I was wrong. I don't want to make a rash decision. You, you can really trick yourself into thinking that there's hope. And you also, I think it's also a very American idea that failure really stinks. And people call marriages that end a failure. People feel like if they don't make it, you know, in whatever given profession or art, they're a failure. And Americans, I find, are, are, are really, really afraid of failure. It's something that I learned in, you know, both, both of my books, both of these stories, is that one must embrace failure 
to get to the other side of that. You know, I, I, I did horseback riding as a kid, and I had um, this horseback riding t- instructor who said to me, you're not a real rider until you fall off a horse, hmm. you know? I never forgot that, because I think that there really is a lot of wisdom there. You, Nancy, are a real rider in the game of life. <laughs> a Marriage in Dog Years, your latest book, I... I'm shaking my head as you talk, and I'm sure much of our audience is doing the same. I would love to see this be made into a movie. Any chance? Well, maybe. There's a real possibility of that. To be continued. A Marriage in Dog Years by Nancy Balbeerer. If you'd like a copy, email me from the website, casey.co. Our thought from the day is from playwright David Mamet, who said, It's only words, unless they're true. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.